you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 8. Emily is going to be reading to us today from John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come yet. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who has sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted me up, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot of talk about orientation and um, what that means. Um, a lot of this is kind of around the framework of uh, maybe a particular political orientation or cultural orientation. Um, and it's, it's to mean, what is your worldview? What's framing you? What's orienting your life? And I think this idea is, is really helpful. What is it that orients you, right? What is your baseline? And, and if you can understand someone's baseline or orientation or worldview, you can understand how they'll interpret a particular experience. Two people could be looking at the exact same experience, exact same event and come up with totally different conclusions, right? All based on how they're oriented, how, whatever their worldview is. I was telling someone uh, this week about the 2010 Iron Bowl. And uh, if you, you know, know the game, some of you don't, that's okay. Uh, but it's a big game for us Auburn fans. Auburn uh, won the national championship that year. We were undefeated at the time, number two in the country. The eventual Heisman Trophy winner, Cam Newton, was our quarterback. All we had to do was go into Tuscaloosa, get a win, and our moment of destiny would finally come. But we go to Tuscaloosa that year. And again, for those of you who are Alabama fans, I have a lot of respect for Alabama fans. I'm not a hater. But we go into Tuscaloosa that year. 
And before you know it, Alabama is up 24 to zero. And Auburn can't do anything. Uh, we can't get our offense going. We can't do anything. And I mean, the game is over. In fact, at Bryant-Denny Stadium that day, they were already playing. I was there in the second quarter. They were playing the uh, song, uh, I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night, right? Black Eyed Peas, who sings that, right? And the game's over. But you know, next thing you know, Auburn makes a play. And then we make another play. And then we make a few more plays. And in the end of the, end of the game, Auburn wins 28-27. And as an Auburn fan, man, I don't know of a more satisfying game. It was incredible. Now, that's as an Auburn fan, right? If you're an Alabama fan, you probably don't know of a more disgusting game, a more sickening game, a more heart-wrenching game. I mean, you had the game right there. Now, again, we're talking about orientation here, right? Uh, we could tell the story of the 2021 Iron Bowl, and it would be a very different story. The same event, but it depends on how you're oriented. If you're oriented toward Auburn, you view that game in one way. If you're oriented toward Alabama, then you view that game in an entirely different way. You have incredibly different emotions that come to it. I think that's a really helpful idea to understand even like this world right now. How can people be looking at the exact same thing and some people are, are incredibly overjoyed with this thing happens and some people are incredibly angry and, 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 and horror that this thing might happen. And if you can understand that, that idea, this idea of orientation, this idea of worldview and how you can be looking at the exact same thing and have a totally different interpretation of it, then I think you can understand this passage. Jesus shows up. He's been here at the Feast of Booths, teaching at the temple, and we've been here for a few weeks now, as this is kind of the background event of John 7 and of John 8. And he comes to people, the Feast of Booths it was a feast of provision. It was a feast where the people were celebrating how God loved them, how they were the chosen people of God, how God was doing his work through the people. And Jesus shows up, and he basically says here, you think that you're the people of God. You think that you're worshiping God. You think that you are the light of God. But I tell you that you are the darkness. You are the darkness. This is worship, but this is a godless worship. You have lost your way. You, you say that Abraham is your father, but he's not your father. He totally obliterates them in this moment. Now, it's easy when you're reading the New Testament, especially the Gospels, to kind of see Jesus as the protagonist and, hey, I'm on team Jesus here. And so these silly Pharisees, how dare they think this way? But I hope that's not your posture going into the text. Rather, I hope that we will come at this today saying, what, what would Jesus say to me? What is Jesus saying to me here? What does Jesus see in my heart here? What is true of my worship here? What is true of my understanding of the world here? And if you, if you come to the text like that today, then this, this will be an incredibly helpful text for us as a church today. There's two things I wanna talk about, the light and the Father. So let's start with the light. This idea of light, it's, if you've read the Gospel of John, it, it comes up, it's a thing. He picks up on this idea of light. In fact, it, it goes beyond just the Gospel of John. It, it appears in, in the other writings of John too. 
the, begu- the beginning of the Gospel of John is one of my favorite, most profound, impactful little places of Scripture, a little prologue to the Gospel of John. And John gives all of these descriptions of Jesus. In the beginning, it was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You know this passage, but in verse 4, he introduces this idea, and I think it is one of the most powerful ideas in all of Scripture. He says, basically, Jesus was light. He says, in him, Jesus was life. In Jesus was life. Where is life found? It's found in Jesus. And in that life, the kind of life that you have in Jesus, he says this, in that life was the light of men. Jesus is light. Now, I love this analogy. What John is saying here is, you ever go to a dark room? You can't see anything? You ever blindfolded? You know, one time... uh, for Paige's birthday party. I won't tell you which one, but I had a big surprise party for, we'll just say 25, for her 25th birthday. For her 25th birthday, I had a big surprise party for her and I blindfolded her. And we had the party at the Collective over there on Peachtree, but I drove her all around. She thought we were somewhere in Gwinnett County, right? And I took the blindfold off, right? She was in a room, but she had no orientation for the room. She had no idea what room she was in. She didn't even know what county the room that she was in. But as soon as the blindfold came off and she could see, everything made sense. She understood who was in the room. She understood what the room was like. That's what light does. Light makes sense of the world. I recently finished a book, uh, Carl Truman's new little book, Strange New World. And if you've read, he wrote another one last year called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's very helpful books if you haven't read these books yet. But they're basically histories of modern philosophy. Um, and he's, he's writing them kind of from a Christian worldview. So history, histories of modern philosophy. And what all of these philosophers, I was reading the book, you know, you, you, you get this sense that all of these philosophers are concerned with some sort of guiding principle. So Marx, for example, was concerned with power, right? That's kind of the the baseline. That's the orientation. Everybody's oriented toward power, toward wanting power. Freud, his kind of orienting principle, if you've read Freud, was sex, right? This is what's driving the world. This is what's motivating the world. This is what's making sense of people's action, of human action. What John is saying here in John 1 is... You know what life is? You know where real life is? You want to really understand what really makes sense of the world? You want to really put the pieces together? You want to really have light? Jesus is that light. Jesus is life. And this life, the life that Jesus shows, the life that Jesus lives, the life that Jesus leads us to is the orienting factor. He is the one who makes sense of everything. C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in Christianity is I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, right? Sun comes up, you see the sun. But by it, I see everything. By it, I see everything. The sun gives light to everything. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what is the assumption there? If you're not following him, then what? Then you are in the darkness. Then you don't have the light of life. Now, understanding this statement 
It's helpful to understand kind of a bigger thing that John is doing in his gospel. Commentators have commented about the gospel of John. There's all these series of sevens in the gospel of John. If you've read the gospel of John or you've read any, like a, if you've gone through a Bible study in the gospel of John, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's these series of sevens and people kind of argue about how many sevens, series of sevens that there are, but some of the sevens we're really sure of. So there's seven signs in the gospel of John. There's seven discourses in the gospel of John that are all pointing to who Jesus is. Uh, some commentators talk about the seven women of the gospel of John that shed light on the person of Christ. But the, the most famous series of sevens in the gospel of John, and certainly the most clear series of sevens, are these I am statements. There's seven very distinct I am statements. And, and what Jesus is drawing on here is the name of God, the personal name of God, I am, the great I am. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And all of these I am statements are, are a reference to something in the Old Testament. I am the bread of life. This was a reference to the manna that God provided people in the wilderness. God provided you the wilderness. He sustained you in the wilderness. But if you really want for God to sustain you, if you really want to live, you've, you've got to eat of me. I am the bread of life. I am the door. This is a reference to the door of the righteous in Psalm 18. Real righteousness is found through me, I am the good shepherd. This is a reference to Ezekiel 34, the shepherd who is God himself who would come and gather the scattered sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. This, re this reference to the day of resurrection, the, the resurrection on the last day. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is uh, a reference really to the, to the veil, the curtain that hung before the holy place. The only way to the presence of God was through the veil. That was the way to life. I am the true vine. This is a reference to the vineyard songs of Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 27. But this is the second one. So those are all the other six. But the second one here, I am the light. I'm the light. And it's really a reference to two things. First, it's a reference to the pillar of fire, to the light that God led his people by. If you remember when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, God led them by day with a pillar of cloud and by night, in the pitch dark of night, God gave them light, how? With his pillar of fire. Jesus is saying in the same way that the pillar of fire showed you the world around you, in the same way the pillar of fire showed you the direction of God, in the same way that the pillar of fire was your guiding light, I am the light. But as the people followed the way of God, they also, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, were to be a light. Isaiah 42, listen to this. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. You are my people. I'm calling you in righteousness. I'm keeping you. I'm taking you by the hand. But I'm giving you for the other people. And then he describes this. A light to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from dungeons. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. You see, what, you see what Isaiah is saying here? He's saying, 
you are my people, God is saying, you are my people, as you follow my light, in a sense, if you, as you follow the light that I have provided you, as you follow my truth, my wisdom, my way, as you follow my light, you will be a light. I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. Isaiah 49 says the same thing. I will make you, my covenant people, a light for the nations that my salvation, my salvation of the whole world may reach to the end of the earth. This is like an Old Testament great commission. Through my people, I'm gonna bless the whole world. I'm gonna bring a blessing to everyone. As you follow the light, I am going to display my light to all the nations. That's who the covenant people of God were called to be. This is the audience that Jesus is speaking to. And what's so profound about this text here in John 8 is Jesus is saying to them, you were supposed to follow the light. You were supposed to be the people of light. You were supposed to bring salvation and light to all the nations. You think that you're the light. You think that you're worshiping God, but you are darkness. You don't recognize the voice of God anymore. You've quit listening to the voice of the Lord. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, it's not that the people of Israel ever say, you know, forget about you, God. It's not that they ever like bluntly like give the middle finger to God and say, curse you, God. We don't want to be your people. That's not how they enter into the darkness they actually enter into the darkness more like we enter into the darkness. You know, the sun starts to go down. It's, the, the brightness kind of fades off. It's dusk for a while. And before you know it, you can't see anything. The same thing happened to them. It was all these little decisions. It was gradual. They wanted a God that was a little more palatable, a little more like the other gods, the gods that the other nations were worshiping. It's not that they were necessarily abandoning Yahweh. They just wanted Yahweh to be more like they wanted him to be. Remember the story in Exodus 32? It's a very famous story. The people have escaped Egypt. God has led them out of Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. Moses is up on the mountain. It's very mysterious, right? Their leader is gone. And so what do the people do? They say they want to worship God. They want to have worship. But what they do is they ask Aaron to put together a golden calf. They wanted a golden calf. They wanted an idol to worship. Why? Because that's what people worshiped, right? They were coming out of Egypt, right? The, the, everybody in Egypt, worship wasn't so mysterious. Worship wasn't this God that doesn't have idols. No, they needed, they needed an object. That's what the people did. They wanted a God that was more palatable, which is more like the other gods, the gods of the other nations. And again, I want you to hear this story. They, they, they didn't name the calf the golden calf God. You know what they named the calf? You know what they called the calf? God brought great judgment on for worshiping the calf, but you know what they named the calf? They named the calf Yahweh. Don't you see what they're doing here? They're making an idol. It's more attuned to what they like their preferences, and they're just calling it Jesus. <laughs> they're just calling the idol the name of God. What Jesus is saying here is that's, that's darkness. And over and over and over again, the people made those kinds of decisions. 
And Jesus comes to them and says, you are the darkness. This is what I fear for Christ's covenant. This is what I fear for my own life. That we'll want a more palatable God. We won't want the demands of God on our life. We won't want the obscure thoughts that a secular world may have of this kind of Christianity. We want a more acceptable God. We want a God that looks more like the darkness. And then, before we know it, in the same way that the sunset gives way to the night, we are the darkness. And John picks up on this theme of the light in his other writings, as I mentioned. One place where he, he basically says the same thing is 1 John. Listen to 1 John 1. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, God who is light, in whom there is no darkness, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we stay in the light that God has given us, if we look to the light as, as he is in the light, as Jesus is in the light, if we follow the way of Christ, if we stay in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I, I think this begs the question, if we're really serious about this, what does life in the light look like? What, what does it mean to walk in the light? A few diagnostic questions for you. First, is the word of God giving shape to your life? I want you to really ask yourself that. It, are you walking in the light? First question, is the word of God giving shape to your life? Is, is that how you understand yourself? Do you understand yourself as a child of God? Do you understand yourself as an ambassador for Christ? I'm saying chiefly, right? Chiefly. Is that how you understand yourself? Everything else flows from that. Or are you a regional sales officer who goes to church sometimes? Are you a mom who's also a Christian? Or chiefly, fundamentally, are you a child of God? Are you a servant of God? Are you an ambassador for God? Are you working for an eternal inheritance, right? Is that, is that what captures you? I mean, do you think about that? Do, do, you, do you check your 401k more often than you think about the inheritance that you will have one day that is eternal with the Lord? What inheritance you? What story is shaping your identity? Are you shaped by the Word of God? What about your character? Is your character really more like the character of Christ? Are you growing in Christ likeness? Right? Are you growing in humility? Are you growing in love? Are you growing in compassion? Are you drawn to the vulnerable, or are you only drawn to the powerful? Is God and His Word really shaping your life? Second diagnostic question, are you in fellowship with one another? Are you, is Christian fellowship a priority in your life? I, let me just tell you, okay? I, I want you to hear this. I, I'm a professional Christian. 
You guys pay me to be a Christian. And if I, if there are not people that I'm praying with regularly, if there are not people that I'm confessing sin with, if, if I don't have Christian community in my life, my faith, my hunger, if I'm not worshiping with the church, my faith, my hunger for the Lord diminishes. It, fa- it starts to fade. I, I need this in my life. I need Christian community. I, I've got to protect it. Because look, we're busy. We're all busy. We all got stuff to do. I mean, I get it. There's so many things we can do. There's so many good things we can do. But if we don't protect life in the body, life with brothers and sisters, these things will fade. You know, what does it profit a man to to punch off everything in his to-do list? What does it profit a man or a woman or a family to accomplish every task that a good American family should have and forfeit their soul along the way? Third question, are you actively killing sin? This is, a, this is a good diagnostic question. Are you fighting sin? I want to say this kind of honestly to some. Some of you are letting, I'm not saying that this sin in your life is a welcome guest, but you're not fighting it. You're letting it hang out. No, are you fighting these sins in your life? Putting them to death, confessing them, memorizing scripture, being active. I gotta get rid of this threat in my life. If a snake comes in my backyard, you know what I do? You know what I do if a snake comes in my backyard? Poisonous snake? I immediately get my shovel. I immediately go get the hoe. I don't just say, well, I hope my child doesn't mess with that. No, I go chop the head off immediately because it's a huge threat. My children could die. Is that how you treat sin? Is there any urgency? Are you just letting these things kind of hang out? Are you walking in the light or the darkness is the question. And then last, are you, are you living out the mission of God at all? Are, if, if, if this principle is true, that as we follow the light, we will be the light. Okay. What does that look like in your life? Are you sharing your faith? Are you, are you taking hold of the mission of God in any practical way? Are you following the light of God? Are you being the light of God? Jesus comes to these people. They're calling their destiny What God had called them to do was to be his light and through them they would be a light to the nations. But little by little by little by little by little by little by little, they wanted a more convenient, palatable, acceptable God. And he comes to him and he says, you are the darkness. You are the darkness. Are you? Are you in the light? Are you walking in the light? The second kind of big idea of this passage is this idea of the father. When Jesus basically says he is the light, the Pharisees challenge him. They say, hold on, you're making, you're, 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 you're making a claim about yourself. You're acting as your own witness here. Jesus had said in chapter seven that he, that he wasn't doing this, that, that he wasn't making claims about himself. He wasn't speaking to himself. And basically what Jesus responds when they bring this challenge to him, he says, look guys, I'm not speaking of my own authority here. I'm just, I'm just revealing what the Father has been trying to reveal all along. I'm just speaking in line with what my Father has been saying all along. Look at verse 16. It says, even if I do judge, 
Even if I do say things, make judgments, my judgment is true for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, Jesus is saying something big here. We, we kind of are callous toward this because we believe that Jesus is God. We, we have good Trinitarian doctrine. But for these people, for Jesus, a man before them to speak like he's speaking and say the Father. And they, they, in fact, there's some confusion of what he's even talking about here. Simeon is a massive claim. I, he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to speak with the authority of God. Again, as I said, there was confusion, and, and we'll get to this next week and the week after. When Jesus says, Father, is he, who is he talking about, right? Some people might have thought it was his earthly father. Some people would say, well, maybe, what you, who's this guy's father? Isn't it the carpenter, right? That's one of the questions people ask. Other people likely thought that he was talking about Abraham, right? The, the great father of Israel, my father. That was a way that people would speak in these times. Some people knew that he was talking about God himself, as this heavenly father. So we'll get to this in a few weeks, but basically Jesus' response to them, you know, he's talking about his father, and they later say, well, wait, our father is Abraham. And what Jesus will say to them, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, is he says, no, your father's not Abraham. Your father's certainly not my father in heaven. Your father is the devil. When these people heard this, I mean, you'll see how the chapter ends. They picked up stones to stone him. But he basically says the same thing here. Look at verse 23. You are from below. <laughs> I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe in me, if you, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying what he'll say later. You are of your father, the devil. This is a reference to Genesis 3. God had told Adam, his son, listen to me, obey me. Don't eat of this tree. Listen to my voice. Don't eat of this tree. I will bless you. I will care for you. I'll take care of every need. Don't eat of this tree. Just obey me. Just obey me about the tree and you'll be blessed and you'll live. But if you don't, you'll die. And what did Adam do? God had said, listen to me. Listen to my voice and live. But he listened to the voice of the serpent. He listened to the voice of the devil. He listened to the voice of the serpent instead of the voice of the Father who promised life. And he brought on this curse of death. What Jesus is saying here is you aren't of God. You aren't of Abraham. You are like Adam, listening to the voice of the serpent, listening to the voice of the devil, and you will die. You will die in your sins. I wanna give you a very honest warning today, church. I hope this word comes to you in, in great love. But some of you are listening to the wrong voice. Some of you are listening to the wrong voice. You're listening to the wrong voice. 
You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You aren't fighting sin. You aren't pursuing righteousness. So you have deep sin issues that you're doing nothing about. You aren't confessing them. You aren't memorizing scripture. You aren't fighting them at all. You're listening to the wrong voice. Are you of your father? Are you listening to that voice? Or are you listening to the voice of the serpent? Some of you aren't generous. Some of you aren't generous at all. You have no concern with the worship of God through generosity. You have no acknowledgement of God for giving you everything that you have. You're listening to the wrong voice. You're spending everything on yourself. You're, you're totally given to materialism. Some of you are angry all the time. You, you've been overcome with the bitterness of this world, not the joy of the Lord. Hear me. Some of you are listening to the wrong voice. Are you of your father? Are you listening to your father's voice? Or are you listening to the voice of the serpent and be warned? The, the, the message is clear throughout the whole Bible. Listen to the voice of the Father and live. Listen to the voice of the servant and die in your sins. And if that is you, if right now God in his kindness is pinning you to the mat on any of these things, that's actually good. That's the kindness of God. Repent. There's, there's actually amazing news in this text. This day, look at how it ends. Look at verse 30. This day, the people that he had just said, you are darkness. Verse 30, how does it end? It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. <laughs> they were changed. They, they were converted. They repented. God changed them. God reoriented them. Remember how I said at the beginning, if you're oriented one way, you'll see the same thing. Some people after Jesus, after Jesus said these things to you, and some of you right now, if I've pressed you on something, if you're oriented toward the voice of the serpent, you've already canceled me. But I pray that you are oriented toward the word of the Father and you, your heart is being softened, you're repenting because there's actually good news in this text. Look at verse 28. Jesus says something amazing. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. What is Jesus talking about here? And this is the good news. He's referencing this story from the book of Numbers. The people were in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt he was leading them to the promised land and all they could do, you know what they could do? All they could do was complain. All they could do was complain. In fact, they were even saying, let's go back to Egypt. It was better there. Get us out of this wilderness. God, why have you done this? God, why have you done this? God, why are you doing this? All they could do was complain. And so God, to punish them, to show his severity, to show his power, he sent serpents <laughs> to them. And the serpents started to bite them. Fiery serpents, the book of Numbers says. And finally, when feeling the judgment of God a little bit, finally when he, feeling this taste of the judgment of God, the people had this incredible moment of clarity. And they repented. They cried out to God. They said, okay, 
You're right, I'm sorry. Forgive us, Lord. Heal us. People are dying from these serpent bites. And, and what happened was this. It's a very interesting story. God said to Moses, make another serpent out of bronze and hold it up in front of the people. And everyone who looks at that serpent will be healed. If you look up at the serpent, if you lift up, when you raise up the serpent, if you look at the serpent, then you'll be healed. Now, what does that story, what does that story have to do with anything? It's, it's, it, this is the story that Jesus is talking about right here. We say, well, how do you know that? Well, in John 3, he uses the same language. When the Son of Man is lifted up, like the serpent, he's using the same language here. When, I, when the Son of Man is lifted up, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. He's referencing this serpent story. And what this story is all about is that on display at the same time, we, we're reading through Romans right now, and Paul uses this phrase in Romans 11, the kindness and severity of God. When the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, what the people saw was the kindness and severity of God. They saw the serpent. There is a consequence for their sin. They had sinned against God and there was a great consequence for it. But when they looked at that serpent, they were healed. God had shown his mercy, his kindness and his severity all at the same time. What Jesus is saying here is when I'm lifted up like that serpent, and when you look at me, you will see the kindness and severity of God on display at the same time. And when you see both of those things, God's kindness and God's severity on display at the same time, then you will know that I am he. Then you will be changed. Then you will be reoriented. Well, what is the lifting up of Christ? What is that? What does it mean they're gonna lift him up? Well, he's talking about the cross. When he, Jesus, the son of God, who came to be a man was strung up on the sinner's cross. When he endured the stripes and the pain and the judgment that we should have received, the condemnation that God should have given to us, the severity of God's righteous condemnation against sin, when it is displayed on the cross at the same time, in this same cross, while God is showing his severity, he is showing his kindness. Because, you see, because of the cross, because the price for your sin and my sin has been paid, because Jesus yelled out, it is finished, because the severity of God against sin has been satisfied in Jesus, now the cross is a sign of the kindness of God. And when that is lifted up, the severity of God and the kindness of God all at the same time, let me just tell you, if you believe that, if you believe in a God that is so severe that he should, because of your sin against him, damn you, yet because of his love and mercy and kindness to you, saves you, redeems you through the sacrifices of his own son, when you see that, that will reorient your whole life, that will bring you out of the darkness into the light, that will bring you away from the wrong father, the voice of the serpent to the voice of of God, have you seen the Son of Man lifted up? Have you really seen the Son of Man lifted up? That's what I'm saying. Have you really seen this? The kindness and severity. What is the cross to you? Is it just this weird Christian symbol that Christians kind of look to? Is it just a cruel symbol of Christians that believe in bloody things? 
Is it just a loving symbol? Or do you see it together? The kindness and the severity, the almighty God who should have condemned us doesn't. He's merciful to us. He's kind to us. He's gracious to us. And when you see that, all at the same time, the Son of Man lifted up. It'll change your life. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Do you believe that? And if you have, that will bring you into the light. And if you have, that will make you a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. God, I know that you will not be mocked. And Father, if there's someone here right now that's serving a Atlanta narrative idol with a couple of Bible verses attached, if there's someone here that is deep in some sin that they are allowing to camp out in their life. If there is someone here that really their only motivation is self-centeredness and self, Lord, I pray right now by the power of the Spirit of God, you would break them in that sin. You would lead them to repentance and then in that place of repentance, you would lead them to the sweet place of mercy that they would look to the cross and see both your severity and your kindness. And that in seeing the cross rightly, they would be changed when the Son of Man is lifted up. Father, I pray that we would know that it is He. He is the one who can save us. He is the one who is the light. He is the one who makes sense of the whole world. Lead us to love Jesus more. Lead us to follow Him more faithfully. Lead us to our knees, Lord. Lead us to keep looking to the cross. Father, I pray that this word would just continue to penetrate our hearts and bring about in us a sense of godliness and righteousness and faith to look to Jesus, to follow him, to walk in the light as he is in the light and to know, to have confidence in that, that his blood has paid for our sins. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.